If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so you can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. This podcast is part of the Podcast Arcade Network. Hello. Today I've got Tim Benson with me as we discuss Ghosts in the Shell from 1995. We'll talk about the original manga, the movie, a little bit about the TV series, and the new movie coming out today. All coming up on Soundtrack Alley. Good to have you on the show again. Always good. Yeah. Um, today, we've got uh, good, exciting news about Ghosts in the Shell. Uh, the live-action movie comes out today. Uh, what are your thoughts initially on... Have you seen any previews for the new movie? Yeah. You know, I, I come into it with no history at all. Um, <clears throat> when you suggested the episode, I hadn't read the book, hadn't seen the... Um, anime hadn't seen the show, but I had seen the previews for the the movie, and I I'm okay with it. You know, like I said, I'm not offended by any of the uh, the story going on around it, and I'm I like sci-fi movies, so I'll probably like the live action movie more than any of the other stuff just because it's a fresh take for me. Yeah, yeah, um, that's how I was looking at it. I mean, some of the aspects of the previews uh, really remind me of the manga, or not the manga, but the anime, the Ghost in the Shell anime. Yeah. It's a unique take on it, and I don't know why people are talking about it being whitewashed and everything, because I don't know what they expect. So. Yeah, it's, it's a movie made in America, and I get it. Like, I would have no problem if the star of the film was uh, an american asian descent um yeah. and like it, I, i'm fine with it whatever Who, whoever does the role best but it's a movie mm-hmm. um it needs to sell tickets to pay for its budget she she brings you know the actress playing the lead role she's gonna put people in in the seats so yeah Okay, and I think I always go back to the idea that, you know, they've done interviews with people in uh, Japan. There's another podcast I listened to. They did a whole section on this, and 
they interviewed people in Japan, in China, and they asked them what they thought about um, Ghost in the Shell specifically mm-hmm. um, casting somebody, and they're like, we we don't really care. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> we have our own movie industry. Yeah. You guys can do whatever you want. Yeah. Like, we're, we're going to make Ghost in the Shell someday, and we'll put a Japanese person in the lead, and you guys can make a movie, and they just don't care. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I think most of the out like outcry about it is just clickbait internet yeah. articles. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. And one of the things I noticed was that with the new movie coming out, this is something very specific to today's release of Ghost in the Shell, is that in Japan, when they release this movie, the American movie in Japan, they're having the Japanese original voice actors dub over for everything in this film. Yeah. Which is awesome. I mean, that is so cool because it's like, it gives you a sense of uh, callback to the original anime. And I found that really compelling because it's like, yeah, that gives you the connection that you're really looking for, that these actors, the people are familiar with those people voicing those those characters. Yeah. No, I think that was a, a brilliant move on their part. And I, I think all of the just anger and, and dislike uh, surrounding the movie is just some people trying to get it's to their internet site to sell ad revenue. And, and I, I just don't worry about it too much. Yeah, yeah. And then the fact that um, the main character, which is Matoko, uh, I guess with the new movie, she's just called Major, which doesn't really make any sense. But, uh, but hey, we're talking about a science fiction cyberpunk anime that doesn't exist really so well yeah i mean and i'm sure it's not a straight adaptation no no i don't think it is um it's got its own story in fact i think the story is actually different from what even the anime is so yeah um yeah they didn't just whitewash the actors i mean they, they whitewashed the story because it's a movie made in america yeah and whether you're white or not, I don't. I don't really care for the whitewash term. Whether you're white or not, you've grown up on a certain visual style. Yeah. Uh, um, and like, I have no problem with manga or, or anime, but I'm not used to it. Oh so yeah. It, it yeah. takes a, an effort, not an effort to watch it, but an effort to like kind of get yourself in the mindset for it. Uh, which is why when you suggested it, I said I wanted to read the book first. Oh yeah. To kind of get get into the aesthetic feel for the the style they make the movie and they make the books and mm-hmm. uh, so yeah the movie is gonna be fine I, I'm I'll I'll see it so yeah I'm actually looking forward to to seeing it well let's let's start off with some thoughts on the actual manga since you have read quite a bit of it uh, what did what did you really think of the manga for Ghosts in the Shell um. Yeah, it was okay. I there were some parts of it that it kind of showed its age, um, and maybe maybe they went maybe the the I forget the name of the the person who writes and draws it. Um, oh, it's um, 
I have it um, right here. It's Masamune Shiro. Yeah. There are some... I, I, I guess it comes down to it. It's like way too much nudity. Or, I agree. or the impl- implication of nudity. Uh-huh. Um, for its... For no reason. Like, I'm fine with nudity being in a show or a book or anything like that. But he took it way past necessary. And, I agree. And way past storytelling. It was... It was just there for the readers to to enjoy, you know? Yeah, and it was um, actually uncalled for. And yeah. I think it was... I don't know what it is with his style, but he created art books full of um, overly sexualized women um, in skin, skimpy outfits. And it had no relevance to technology or no relevance to... Uh, any type of story, um, he just wanted to draw sexy women. Yeah, and you know what? I don't have a problem with it. I just don't. That's just not my my entertainment. You know. Yeah. Um, so uh, there was there was that, but <clears throat> beyond that, it was it was fine. Um, the technology part of part of it is probably my favorite, and I loved the notes that I, the notes that he makes that are like somebody else is giving you reference and you really start to feel the ghost. Um, I mean, from page one, Mm -hmm. you feel the ghost giving you information that the, the rest of the, the world doesn't understand. Mm -hmm. So I, I liked that little notes about like the very opening scene, the guy, the guy gets shot and then explodes. Yeah. (laughs) I, I was so confused (laughs) until I, (laughs) Till I noticed the little the little notes, and yeah. that's when it really kind of took on a, a better understanding for me. And you kind of look for those little tidbits first, mm-hmm. uh, and then watch. I'm not, I'm gonna try to stay on topic, but watching the the um, anime, you kind of get the same feeling when she um, plugs in and takes over the vehicle, yeah, and starts talking to him to the to the guy who was driving. She starts talking to him, but her her body isn't moving or, or making the sounds. And you start to, like, where is this sound coming from? It's from the... Uh... She doesn't have to move her mouth. Yeah. It's a speaker. Um, yeah. So I, I liked how they tied together. So I liked the little notes throughout in the book um, that, that really play on the, the ghost. So. Yeah, and, I mean, it, it shows, like, you know, a possible future that technology has reached an advanced point to where so many members have a cyber brain that part of their technology is to interface with the biological brain and connect with various networks. And that includes uh, contacting or communicating with others through that network. And that's what you're shown in... The manga, and you're also showing that in the anime between Matoko and um, Bato. Yeah. Her and him, they have a long exchange between each other that they're not speaking at all, but it's all in their head. And they're communicating, and you're getting a sense of part of their relationship and their story. I just found it really unique that it's a different type of storytelling. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, the, the play with technology and organisms is, I mean, that's what made it popular. Um, I mean, it's the, the cyberpunk move. Mm-hmm. So I, I wonder what the connection between um, American like literature, like Gibson, uh, William Gibson. Or, oh, yeah. Um, even P.K. Dick's early stuff versus, like, I wonder if it had an influence on this or if it's simply the emergence of technology in both American and Japanese culture that it, it's bound to happen. Yeah. Um, like, you don't, you didn't need to actually be influenced. The technology is just taking over the world. Of course, you're going to start to see it in, in literature. So I, I, I don't, I can't find anything specifically talking about uh, references or, or even inspiration across across the ocean yeah until after both of these are produced so I, I find it interesting that both of them I, I keep talking about them uh, William Gibson's neuromancer oh yeah um, I wonder how how much they interact with one another or or if at all so yeah I found it interesting with just the the manga in general the one thing that stands out to me is the technology and even the um oh what are they called they're the mobile attack units but they don't have i mean they have personality but they're robots the mobile armor mobile armored riot police yes that's the the name of ghost in the shell in japan Yeah. yeah but like the i don't know they're like those tanks Kichikomas. Yeah. The Kichikomas, they uh, they have, like, minds of their own, too, but they're also controlled by the people. So I found that really interesting as well because there's a point in the TV series where there's an entire episode where they're having this really in-depth conversation about uh, life and consciousness and awareness for themselves and it's actually a really compelling episode because it's like it gives you the thought of you know making things more real or uh seeing how these machines could uh change or adapt to be more like self-aware yeah but i found it i mean it just was an interesting you know concept even in the manga so, but moving on, like, I mean, we've talked a little bit about the, the manga itself and the uh, artwork style and how we both don't really like the artwork style. Yeah, um, uh, no, I, I like the artwork. I just don't like the content. Yeah. Or I, I don't like the excessive, just sexualized content. Yeah. If you took all those pages out, like, it's, it's, a, it's a great book with or without them. I just didn't need the the amount that he put in. Oh, um, I I agree. I I also understand. Like, I mean, the main character is female. She's a robot, and so it was like pushing the censorship line at yeah. a time when it was very heavily censored. You know, but because she wasn't human, it, it wasn't nudity. Mm-hmm. So I understand that there was a a reason. For the, I guess the the scenes, the new, all of that, um, that that pushed boundaries that were that were outside of the page. I mean, he was he was trying to make points about censorship and uh, body images 
in in Japanese culture. Um, you know, but it's been a long time. It's hard for me. It's a it's hard to look back with that lens. But yeah, but I did I did like the the actual art of the book. I thought he paced it well. Um, settings, uh, location, just the style of it itself was was really good. And I, see, I, he's done he's done other things such as Appleseed and Dominion Tank Police. And those were all mangas originally, and then they became animes after that. Anime and mangas is definitely a. I know it. It's it's a a spot in my reading and watching history that isn't very thorough. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I I'm like all the other people in the world who thinks Akira, you know, is great, um, and I, I can't wait to do the Akira episode. Yeah, uh, but I could tell you. I've probably read five and watched five anime manga series in my yeah. life. So mm-hmm. I, I don't come with it to it with a lot of training. Yeah, no, that's perfectly fine. Um, but, you know, when we look at the actual anime in general, you know, the very beginning sequence and the the whole, like, cyberization of this character. I looked up this one article to recreate the actual scene for the new movie. The uh, special effects people, they actually worked with the live-action shelling sequence, like the person being, you know given skin and everything it gives the idea of how much the sequence was created using even practical effects rather than computer generated imagery and it had a physical 1400 piece skeleton modeled on johansson's body or johansson and a body lifted from real liquid filmed against a green screen so uh, they used those practical practical effects to get that same idea from the first sequence in the in the anime. Yeah. I found that just unique. The director uh, being Maru Oshi. I think I said that right. I I probably <laughs> I I probably butchered it, but yeah. uh, he's been known to direct many other things. Uh, other than um, Ghost in the Shell, his early works were on Urasai Yatsura, and it's like this cat girl, and they had 15 seasons of the TV show, and then they did several movies, and it was super big and super popular in Japan. Yeah. And then he did uh, a show called Pat Labor, and it's like a militaristic, like robotic mecha. You know, like giant robots. And so he was he was known for doing films like that. And then when he did uh, Ghost in the Shell, he modeled it from things of Final Fantasy. And then he did this one called Angel's Egg. And it was he was starting to get into like the cyber type, you know, ideas and. So it changed, you know, a lot of things. And in fact, when we look at, you know, Ghosts in the Shell in general, it was kind of a stepping stone to what the Matrix was. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, uh, he did the, he was one of the directors for the 
animated matrix, whatever animatrix. Yes, the animatrix. Ooh, I don't know if yep. you ever saw that. Yep. I um, have it. There's, there's definitely a connection. And he was one of the guys who, who could go back and forth between live action and animated. Yeah. And it, it shows in ghost in the shell anime. I mean, it definitely shows how, how much work he puts into the background and the setting and, camera angles i mean in, in animation you can camera angle from anywhere you want yeah but he chooses angles that he would have chosen if it was a live action film and i think that's one of the reasons that it has kind of taken on a life bigger than others because there's a cinematography to it that people can associate with oh yeah i definitely agree because there's so much about that film like the hyper-realness of the action really, you know, really gets you because it's like, wow, that's that's really fast or, you know, and it's it's all animated, but you feel like you're watching a live-action movie in some ways because of some of the action that's actually going on. Yeah. I just, I found it unique for uh, the movie itself. Uh, what do you think of the music for... Uh, the anime. Yeah, I think he uses it well. Um, <clears throat> you know, during most of the action scenes, it's pretty pretty subdued. Oh, yeah. Uh, um, the sound effects are, are really notched up quite a bit, so the music takes a back seat. Uh, but some of my favorite parts in the anime are just the, you know, the where she's sitting in the water. Mm -hmm. um, or just, she's floating in the, that's the word I'm looking for. <laughs> she's floating in the water or she takes the subway. Yeah. Um, and it's literally just her thinking. Mm -hmm. Um, the, and the, the music really takes the front seat to all of that. And you start to get the emotions of the character through the music. So I think it's, he uses that really well, um, in the, in the way that, you know, you think about Blade Runner, um, stuff like that, where, the music really has to tell tell a story in itself uh, for these non-human characters. Yeah. Yeah, most definitely. Because yeah. you have a different type of storytelling. You're not, you're not watching a live-action film. Um, you have to help it along with the music. And Kenji Kawai, who did the score, um, it, you could... You could feel like the metallic parts of it you know giving it that cyberpunk feel and then you also get some really unique uh aspects of japanese instruments uh intertwined with uh the actual you know score and i just i found it you know a unique uh blend of regular composition of, of film music and then mixed with that almost 80s style of yeah. of composing but not the uh not the synth type you know it was you can you can tell that there was actual uh, real instruments used for the score yeah i you know i don't i don't know the technical terms or the the equipment used but uh it's like they created real you know instrument live instrument music recordings and then 
went in and added layers to them um, to to give it a more electronic feel. Um, the even the voices, you know, and that's something we haven't talked about. Um, I don't. This is the first animated, right, that we've done. Yes. <clears throat> so we haven't talked about voice acting, um, but the the cool thing about animated films is you really are able to separate voice from the live action and i know you can do that now but for older movies it was harder um but they were able to add those elements the electronic effects to the voices as well as the music and they were able to meld the two together Mm -hmm. Uh, probably in a, a controllable way that you you probably couldn't have done until five or six years ago so yeah and I didn't know this, uh, Brian Eno, I feel like Brian Eno is our guy, <laughs> because our first episode was Dune. Yeah. Um, uh, he makes his appearance again in this one. Yeah, yeah, it's just, it's phenomenal how, uh, certain people have influence over even different styles of filmmaking. Yeah. So, uh... I just, you know, the whole the whole idea of Ghost in the Shell and the the way the music is done. Um, when I've I've watched the entire Ghost in the Shell standalone complex TV series, and it's like twenty seven episodes, and it's all involving the Laughing Man. Now with the anime, it's the Puppet Master, and then. There's the second series, which is still just like volume two, and it's dealing with this group called the Initial Eleven. And so each series has its own like back, you know, kind of behind the scenes villain that's trying to control everything and change everything. So uh, it's really unique how they get these different elements of a different character that is behind the scenes and is affecting everything that's involved i think it's uh i've always read it as it's a sign of the time where technology was emerging uh computers and their their interactivity with the world was evolving and this ai fear was kind of dominant in the way that people were afraid of hackers Mm-hmm. You know, and, and like you don't understand how hacking is done, and and uh, movies like this and Blade Runner and and things like that were just kind of natural outreaches for fear of technology that you can't control. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's the whole idea of Standalone Complex, which is the TV series, and it it really delves deep into like the even moral issues dealing with the uh, you know having a ai or yeah. having a cyberized brain that takes over fun- functions of the body in fact there's a couple of the episodes of the tv series where you have a intelligence that is inside like a suitcase that's walking and it's an intelligent human, but he has a cyber brain. So it's, you know, there's no physical human being there, but it's just this, like, walking suitcase. 
<laughs> so it clearly changes, you know, moral implications. And it reminds me of the book by Roger McBride Allen called The Modular Man. And how The Modular Man, it was an experiment of a man that decided to uh, merge his consciousness into a uh, robot form. And so he did it. But it took a few weeks for him to fully integrate into the robotic self. And it just was a really interesting uh, novel. And maybe even the director got his ideas from that very book or just other science fiction uh, book ideas or something like that. Because... That's essentially what was happening. Yeah. So. Um, I just, I read the first one. I I didn't go beyond that to read volume two or volume, you know, 1.5. Oh, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And I, I haven't checked out the TV show. Um, well, so I can. We'll see. I can definitely tell you that the TV show is really compelling. Um, yeah. Some of it's kind of brutal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah because there's there's some things in it that you're not expecting and it's not a tv show for ch children at all well, no. <laughs> it is it is like an adult uh tv series you know it's it's like a full adult tv series and you have to really weigh it carefully to see how it's going to affect and i just i found it really interesting and really good because the storyline of the laughing man lasts for 27 episodes but you you've got certain episodes that don't even deal with the laughing man like they're waiting on something and so that that's how they explain this one episode that it's a standalone and that's why they call it the standalone complex i think you have to do that for a successful tv show yeah Otherwise, you can't have any fun with it or, you know, deviate from the main storyline. Because otherwise, the main storyline would only last, like, seven episodes. Yeah. So, but, you know, we've we've discussed a little bit about the manga, the, um, the initial anime. And what are your thoughts on the plot of the anime? I, I, it's, I liked it. Um, it's pretty accessible. Um, you know, where you're able to, you come in and you have a couple of characters who really kind of bring you into this complex world. Mm -hmm. Um, the technology is, is cool. Um, and it kind of serves as a catalyst for some of the story. Yeah. Um, and, and you kind of get this, the ghost in the anime, I think they, they're just like, oh yeah, there's a ghost in the, in the machine. Um, and you just have to kind of accept it. The manga brings it in a little bit better. Mm -hmm. um, that was that's probably my only critique of mm -hmm. it. Um, oh yeah, is that that ghost concept is just forced, and they 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 kind of throw it at you in a couple dialogue moments, mm -hmm. and they're like, yeah, there is a ghost. I think there's a ghost. Yeah, what if there's a ghost? <laughs> and they yeah. they kind of beat it over. But they could have just left that out 
Um, and I mean, the thing is called Ghost in the Shell. Yeah. I, I'll pick up on the hints. You know, you don't have to go so heavy. Uh, but yeah. once they start bringing in the, I'm, not, I'm, I forget the names of all the characters, but the blonde android lady. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> like once they bring her in, you're like, yeah, there's a ghost. You know. Yeah. Um, and that's where it really like ratchets up quite a bit. Yeah, um, and you get these huge, you know, military industrial complex type places, and uh, you start to see the city uh, itself. Mm-hmm. You know, this is where they start taking the the bus or the train ride through the city. Um, I, I, it's a compelling story for sure. Yeah, I but, really, I mean, I found it uh, unique of even how the animation style lends itself to the story and how you get so many elements of the story uh, through the animation and you get to see rather than read it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So uh, one thing that I really found unique was, I mean, you really see the brutalness that happens within the last 10 minutes of the film because Matoko is trying to rip the top off of this giant tank and her yeah. arms are like breaking off because she can't do it. And finally, uh, Bato, he comes in and saves her. So it's like, well, spoiler alert, but it's a film from 1995. So, yeah, you should have seen it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, it's, you know, it's like a, it's a really rip-roaring action scene at the end of the film, and you're like, whoa! Yeah. And then you find out that, you know, later on, she's able to have a borrowed body later on to be able to survive and get a better one later. Yeah, I think, I mean, the whole brain transplant is a well-played-out concept, uh, but this was kind of an early stage for it. Um, I'm interested to see how the new movie plays on some of the physical takes on it. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I'd love to see Scarlet, like, tear off a tank. You know, like, to start doing stuff to that physical extent. Yeah. Um, and mainly because I think we need to see a Black Widow movie. Uh, yeah. You know, so <laughs> we need to see how well she can... Um, not her as an actor, but like how well an audience um, receives that lead female strong character. Yeah. Because um, I'm pretty sure nobody's going to step in to save her no. in, in, the, in the new movie. Um, they want her to be the one saving. So Yeah. But we'll see. <laughs> yeah. Um, did you notice one thing with the anime that the director puts in a basset hound? I didn't see that. Yeah, there was a basset hound. I, I, didn't, I didn't acknowledge it in any way. Yeah, well, it's it's kind of his signature. Because oh, in okay. anything that he's done, he's put a basset hound in it. Um, he did it in Dominion Tank Police. He did it in Appleseed. He's done it in Ghosts in the Shell. It's even in the TV series. And then he did it in the sequel called Innocence, Ghost in the Shell Innocence. Now, that one is really good. I actually found that one more compelling than Ghost in the Shell itself. So, 
And I don't think it has an English dub. I think you can only watch it in uh, subtitles. So. Yeah. But it's uh, really good. <laughs> so it's just unique because, you know, you look at certain directors, they have uh, a signature such as John Woo and his uh, dubs. He always yeah. has dubs in his movie. So uh, those are things that, you know, you can really uh, find interesting. Um so, I've got a few cues by Kenji Kawai that I'd like to to play, since he had uh, composed the music for Ghost in the Shell. And the first cue I'd ha I have is called Resurrection, which is the very title cue um, of the film, and yeah. it shows us the introduction. So, what are your thoughts on that intro, Tim? Hey. I mean, it, it definitely starts you off right away with that mix of um, traditional Japanese instrument with the technology. Mm -hmm. um, and you're going to see that played. It's kind of the middle ground. Um, later on in the movie, you get real just instrumental pieces. And then toward the end, you get real heavy um, electronic sound. So think the intro is is a good middle ground same with the very last you know the credit song yeah it's kind of a good mix between between the two. Oh yeah i i would definitely agree so now let's play resurrection
Well, next, I I really like to show how the vision of the future for the film is, and the track that I have is called Ghost Hack. And it gives us a clue into that very situation because you you get these like singularity pings in the the score in the very track that we have that it it gives us and it, it's spaced so so far apart that you really wonder is this still going on yeah <laughs> but then it's unique because it carries you along through the track to show that there's a cyber villain that's hacking other people yeah so what do you think this one one, uh it really gives you the feel of like uh, i mean i'm i'm gonna spoil a future episode of tron but like what does a a circuit board sound like Uh, yeah this is this is kind of a, a good example of what we've all come to understand as if you see circuits on screen, this is the kind of sound you associate with it. Yeah. Um, and it's just that basic electronic overlay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's, that's for me, it's, it's kind of the, the basic tech sound. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's almost, it's almost a sound effect mm-hmm. now. Yeah. So. But it, it, it's a good track. So now let's, yeah. let's play ghost hack.
Lastly, I'd, I'd like to play three tracks that are toward the conclusion of the score. Um, it's called Night Stalker, Floating Museum, and Ghost Drive. Now, Ghost Drive is in regard to Matoko uh, connecting with the Puppet Master to talk to him, and it, like, the Puppet Master, like, breaks through that communication between Matoko and Bato. And you get this, like, surreal uh, Japanese feel for the, the music, and then it shows us the technical side of bringing us full circle of understanding what is actually going on, and even highlighting the frenetic action that opens the bars to the TV series as well. What do you yeah. think? Yeah, no, I think I think you hit it right on. Um, there's those three tracks run well. It's kind of the end of the the movie, and yeah. All right. So uh, once again, we've come to an end of a show. Uh, we can look forward to uh, the next two weeks as I bring some composer interviews in. Um, next week, I've got Alec Alvarez and Freddie Shenfeld. They'll be on the show talking about the new Yu-Gi-Oh! movie that had come out called uh, Dark Side of Dimensions. Hmm. So it, it's a really actually a very good interview. I enjoyed interviewing them, and it was a special treat from uh, Beth Krakauer. I'd like to thank her for setting up the interview, and I was able to you know, really uh, reach out to those two composers, and I was able to get them on through Skype. And it's just a really phenomenal interview, so I'd like people to be able to enjoy that. And then the following week, I've got Bruce Rowland, who composed the film music for The Man from Snowy River. And I'll present that interview and discuss the movie with Josh Howell from Daydream Instruction Manual. So uh, those are a couple things that we can look forward to in the next couple weeks. And You're on big time. Yeah. <laughs> and so, Tim, I'd like to thank you once again for being on the show. Always good. Yeah, and we'll look forward to doing more in the future. So yeah. for now, let's play these last three cues and happy listening.
thank you for listening to Soundtrack Alley, the podcast. I hope you take some time to review my podcast on iTunes and also listen to it on Podbean. And if you leave a review or rating on there, it'll help us get noticed on iTunes. Thank you so much. Have a good day.